1: In that case, I pronounce
2: you lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lock
3: Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed it's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success and practical advice is what you need the nonprofit coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the welcome to the nonprofit coach with Ted Hart the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector dedicated to helping your charity succeed it's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success and practical advice is what you need the nonprofit coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart.
4: And welcome to this latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us today. We've got a very big show for you. This is November 5th, 2013, and I'm coming to you live from the national headquarters of the Charities Aid Foundation. Of America, we have uh, two terrific authors here with us on page two today. Alan Bristol and Linda Lysakowski will be here to help you learn what's wrong with fundraising and how you can fix it. Uh, two of our biggest experts. But here on the Nonprofit Coach, as always, uh, you can send us your questions via email at tedhart@tedhart.com. At as the announcer just mentioned, it's three four seven three two four. 3080 for the call-in number you can also join us over in the chat room if you'd like and you can ask questions over in the chat room we'll make sure that those get to our authors today here on the nonprofit coach we always start with page one news As always, on page one news, you can follow along by uh, going to tedhart.com. Click on radio links, and you will not only get the radio links for today, but you will also uh, be able to look at the very best links in the nonprofit sector for the last couple of years. Uh, First up, I just want to remind you that we do have a partnership with LinkedIn uh, we do host the People-to-People People fundraising site over on LinkedIn. And as of today, we have 2,554 members. Uh, so join your colleagues over on LinkedIn in the People-to-People People fundraising group hosted by the Nonprofit Coach. I uh, also want to just remind you that uh, we have now surpassed 2,200 followers on Twitter. To be exact, 2,231. You can join us at Ted Hart. On Twitter, and you will not only get updates uh, about this show, uh, make sure that you get advance notice of all of the uh, radio links and all of our guests coming up on the show, but other important information regarding the nonprofit sector, follow us over on Twitter at Ted Hart. Next up here on uh, page one news is the announcement from Amazon. Uh, Amazon has a new program called Amazon Smile. Amazon Smile is a simple and automatic way for you to support your favorite charitable organization every time you shop, at no cost to you. When you shop at smile. Amazon. Com, they claim it'll be the exact same low prices on all their items, but uh, with the added bonus that Amazon will donate a portion of the purchase price to your favorite charitable organization. So, make sure that your organization um, is uh, signed up appropriately. You can choose. Uh, um all of the uh, the sites that uh, that are over on Guidestar, 501c3 uh, public charitable organizations can be searched. so go and check it out. Uh, if you represent uh, an organization, you can go directly to org that's o r g com to learn how to register and receive donations from the Amazon Smile Foundation. and you can get all of this information over at tedheart.com. Click on Radio Links and learn all about the new Amazon Smile program. Uh, Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach over in the Radio Links, you'll be able to get information about how the Intel Foundation uh, is using Twitter uh, to help plan grants. The Intel Foundation plans to award $100,000 in education grants to celebrate its 25th anniversary and has turned to Twitter for advice on what programs and organizations to support according to wendy hawkins the funds executive director quote we thought it was a great opportunity to engage in a conversation with people who don't really have the opportunity to have a voice in donating that kind of money we also thought it might be some really great ways to get good ideas that we just wouldn't come up with on our own so go over to tedheart.com, click on radio links and learn how you if you're an education organization can be part of this conversation but also to learn how Intel is using Twitter for their grant writing. We've got two um, uh, announcements here uh, from, uh, from Facebook that we want to share with you. But before we do that, this is uh, time for the CFRE Minute once a month. Ava Eldridge comes and joins us. And over in the radio link, you will find a direct link to CFRE.org. Ava Eldridge, thank you again for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. What's going on over at CFRE?
5: Well, today is the debut of the new website. I know I've talked about it a lot on the show, but it is live now, so I hope people will go and check out CFRE.org with our new look and our new application portal. I think they'll like what they see.
4: That's terrific. Well, we do have a direct link today. When people go, uh, what will they see? What's different? And uh, how does this uh, uh, make a difference for CFREs or those who should be applying?
5: Well, in addition to a new look, I think what they'll really like is the new functionality. Uh, The new application portal is totally online. There's no more printing off and mailing an application, and I know for people who are interested in going green like you are, Ted, that's going to be big. Um, It's also going to be having a much more robust uh, career center. You're going to see searchable lists in terms of finding study groups, finding continuing ed opportunities and also our reading resource list. So overall, we've just tried to listen, you know, put in features that current CFREs and future CFREs will appreciate, and that will really make their experience of this learning community better.
4: That's terrific. Now, you also uh, have a, a search feature for your online um, network search. Um, what, what does that do? Um, and uh, certainly that gives people an opportunity to sort of get a sense of who's out there who has this credential? Um, Is this the beginnings of sort of starting an online community?
5: Uh, You know, we've got a couple different online communities going with uh, Facebook and also with Twitter. Um, And you're right, there is that searchable feature too for people who are looking for CFREs. So overall, let us know what you think. Let us know what more you'd like us to do, uh, because that's one of the things we're committed to. Um, It's not just about the technology. It's about what technology can do to really connect people and make our community Yeah, we think
4: that that's important, because now all around the world, if you're looking for an expert, someone who is certified to be knowledgeable in the fundraising field, you now have uh, a searchable database that you can find someone nearby.
5: Absolutely. And also, worldwide, people can now take the CFRE exam. Uh, it's available now in 80 countries. So that's also exciting. And I think just goes to speak to the way fundraising really is an international profession. And it's, it's something that even though people practice it in different parts of the globe, there's a lot more in common than there are differences. So we're excited to be a part of, of pulling this international community of fundraisers together.
4: Well, and that, that's significant. Say that number again, 80 countries that uh, now uh... can qualify for taking the exam
5: right it's available so that's very exciting it's uh, good to go to various conferences and let people know that now they can take it in their own backyard we've been getting excellent feedback and again just all part of really fulfilling our mission to promote best practices and ethical fundraising
4: well as you know here on the nonprofit coach we're extremely supportive of the cfre movement and uh, believe that those who do qualify Uh, should be seeking certification because it does increase credibility in our sector and also uh, demonstrates your own personal commitment uh, to ethical and professional fundraising. What are the, uh, the baseline qualifications that my listeners today, if they meet those qualifications, they should start thinking about taking the exam?
5: They should have five years of experience as a professional fundraiser. They should have uh, continuing education. We have a point system. You can take a look at our site to see where you fall. They also need to be able to document their fundraising experience in terms of dollars raised and or communication or management projects that contribute to the fundraising bottom line at their organizations. And they have to show that they're involved in, in volunteer service to their communities.
4: Oh, that's terrific. So uh sort of a full service in, in terms of 365 degrees of what makes you a good fundraiser uh, and also show your commitment. Uh, Ava, thank you so much. We always look forward to having you here every month on the Nonprofit Coach for the CFRE Minute. We'll look forward to having you join us again next month.
5: Great. Thanks so much, Ted. It's always a pleasure to be here.
4: You bet. Take care. And we're back here on page one here on The Nonprofit Coach. Again, you can follow along uh, on uh, at tedhart.com with all of the radio links for today. As promised, we have uh, two announcements from Facebook. Uh, first of all, Facebook, um, is, it turns out, and this is going to be good news for our two authors uh, today, is a uh, study show that Facebook drives the most traffic to publishers, beating out Twitter and Reddit. Uh, and, uh, we've got a report for you today that, uh, Facebook is number one in driving traffic for publishers, the world's largest social network directed 10.4% of all traffic to websites this past September, according to, uh, data from 200,000 publishers. Uh, so for those of you who are waiting for Facebook to fail, uh, waiting for Facebook to no longer work, um, you do want to be paying attention to how it can be used to drive uh, traffic. So if that's what you're looking to do is to increase your visibility, Facebook is still a great place to be. And that's followed, by the way, uh, in uh, in, this, uh, in this study by Pinterest. Uh, so Pinterest is beating out Twitter and uh, driving traffic for publishers. And this is just one indication of how the social networking sites can drive traffic. Uh, next up on the Nonprofit Coach here on page one, uh, we have for you 14 Facebook tools you didn't know exist. Uh, some of them are things like your activity log. There's a whole host of uh, services that can be important to your overall program, uh, such as add the ad creation tool, the app center, um, how you can browse uh, through the content on uh, Facebook. Um, you can also track the conversion rate of uh, services that you have for various audiences that you may be tracking. Um, you can export your calendar Uh, to Facebook, Um, and they also uh, have, of course, a Facebook desktop chat that can be used by nonprofit organizations as well. So follow along to tedhart.com. As I said in this article, we're not going to go through the whole detail for you, but 14 Facebook tools, it is a powerful tool and one that you should uh, be considering as part of an overall program for online success. Uh, Check that out at tedhart.com. Uh, next up here on uh, page one news comes to us from TechSoup. This is an important topic, particularly for those of you who are looking at budget time and looking to increase the efficiency of your nonprofit organizations, new solutions that can help streamline communications and spare the environment. So. Unified communication options for nonprofit organizations. What we're talking about is unifying such things as voicemail and fax, SMS messaging, instant messaging, bringing all these into a platform that's easy to manage. And uh, TechSoup is outlining how you can use voice over IP uh, the use of broadband internet connection to facilitate your telephone communication, and how all these things can be brought together into a unified solution, including electronic fax services, voicemail to email, online services, and the like. So check that out over at TedHart.com. You'll also find in our radio links today, also from TechSoup, five tips for visually enticing nonprofit websites. Now we talk a lot here on the Nonprofit Coach about the six pillars of success uh, number one pillar of success of course is a well-designed website uh, definitely go and uh, check out um, these really terrific tips uh, and examples that they are sharing with you over uh, at uh, TedHeart.com. click on radio links look specifically for the five tips for visually enhancing nonprofit websites. you can turn a mediocre nonprofit website into an engaging high traffic destination. Go check that out at Tedhart.com. And that does it uh, for today for our page one news. That means it's time for page two. It is my pleasure uh, today to welcome two really uh, terrific uh, authors uh, today here to the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, first of all, we have Linda Lysakowski with us. Uh, she is um, an expert in capital campaigns and all sorts of fundraising. She holds the ACFRE Advanced Certified Fundraising Executive Designation, Um, and for 19 years plus, she has been a philanthropic consultant. Uh, She has written many books and is a graduate of the AFP's Faculty Training Academy and has received two, and this is very, very impressive, two AFP research grants. She uh, has received the Outstanding Fundraising Executive Award from both the eastern pa and las vegas chapters and i think she actually may have an announcement uh... for us uh... soon on maybe another uh... accolade that uh... that will come her way uh... and uh... our other uh... author today is Ellen bristol she is the founder and driving force behind bristol strategic group a miami-based company that she launched in nineteen ninety five with over twenty seven plus years uh... career in sales and marketing for top-tier mainframe computer companies, uh, she has managed major deals with millions, uh, like a major gift officer. So Ellen um, has written, uh, uh, I think it's a couple of books here, and is uh, certainly one of the top experts. Putting her together with Linda Lisakowski brings them uh, to us today here on the nonprofit coach and their terrific book. The leaky bucket. What's wrong with your fundraising, and how you can fix it. So, welcome here to the nonprofit coach, Ellen Bristol and Linda Lysakowski.
0: Thanks, Chad. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, yeah, it's great. Thank and
3: you and so much.
4: Ned. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm actually going to start off with uh, with Linda because I'm going to take a step back um, before we start talking specifically about uh, about this terrific book. Um, in that, Linda, this is part of a series, um, the In the Trenches series. Um, Tell us a little bit about that before we get into this
3: terrific book. Sure. The In the Trenches series is published by Charity Channel Press, and some of you probably are aware of Charity Channel, along with Ted Hart's nonprofit coach. Uh, Many people connect online through Charity Channel. Uh, There are over 100,000 members of Charity Channel, and about four years ago, Charity Channel Press decided to launch a series of books because what they felt was that there were not a lot of books out there that were the real practical, down-to-earth, okay, how do I do this stuff? (laughs) And there were certainly a lot of great books out in the fundraising field, but the In the Trenches books are very practical and down-to-earth, and I've published several through there, and and I love... um, the concept of this because so many of us are out there in the trenches and we need to learn as quickly as possible. So our books are all relatively, um, I wouldn't say they're small books, but they're relatively short, easy to read, lots of examples about how things worked and how things didn't work. And, And Ellen and I in this book have certainly witnessed several of nonprofits who have going astray because they haven't measured their success very carefully. So we were really delighted to be a part of this In the Trenches series.
4: Yeah, and and, uh, Alan, um, coming directly to um, the the leaky bucket and uh, you and and Linda being part of this In the Trenches uh, series, what was the genesis of this particular topic um, in terms of what's wrong with fundraising? So I gather that, uh, you know, there's sort of an evaluation element that nonprofits need to do, but then how to fix it. So it's not just telling you what's wrong, but what's the practical advice to fix it. So how did this come together?
0: Well, it's kind of an interesting story, which Linda and I both like to tell. Um, I had developed the Leaky Bucket Assessment, which is an online tool. Uh, It's free. It measures nine standard business practices that either uh, contribute to or detract from the productivity of your fundraising efforts. And I had published a 30-page e-book called Demystifying Fundraising. One fine day I got a call from Linda Lysakowski, who I had never heard of up to that point, who said she wanted permission to review um, my little ebook for Charity Channel. And then we got to talking, and I told her about the Leaky Bucket Assessment. And I'm sure you remember this, Linda. I said to her, well, it's kind of a way to figure out what's wrong with your fundraising. Whereupon Linda said to me, hey, that's a great title for a book, What's Wrong With Your Fundraising? And, And then one of us, I don't remember who, said, and how you can fix it. So I said, that's a great idea, let's write a book, and Linda said, I know how to write a book for Charity Channels in the Trenches series, and the next thing we knew, poof, we had written the proposal, it had been accepted, and in 90 days, without ever meeting each other face-to-face, we had submitted the complete manuscript well
4: that that's uh, that's what you can get when you have two powerful voices and years of experience uh that once you start putting it down on paper, of course the experience just comes out uh onto the pages um so but right. you started off with the concept of the leaky bucket um so tell us tell us sort of where that starts
0: okay um it started in a very pragmatic way. I wanted to attract more traffic to my website, the website for my consultancy. Even though I have a for-profit background, I now specialize in consulting to the nonprofit sector. And I thought, oh, here's a nice idea. Let's ask people to fill out an interactive uh, tool that'll tell them where they are. Little did I realize that I was choosing um, uh, items to evaluate, that haven't been examined in the nonprofit sector. They, they are looked at frequently in the sales uh, arena, in you know, in for-profit businesses, but they hadn't gotten a lot of attention on the on the nonprofit side. And so, I had rapidly come to understand that this was information people wanted because they kept finding out they didn't have things that the leaky bucket measures, including a carefully documented ideal donor profile or performance targets for acquiring, retaining, or upgrading donors. In fact, not all of them even had a case for support. That was one of the biggest surprises to Linda and me. So um, by the time we had our initial conversation, I had gathered about 70 or 80 surveys, and I put together a little presentation and shared it with the members of my AFP chapter. We now, uh, by the time we um, published the Leaky Bucket book, we were able to examine uh, the results of over 400 respondents to the survey, and we can tell you. They don't get very good scores.
4: <laughs> well, and, and why yeah. do you think that is? Because the, this seems to be um, you know, a, a topic that comes up regularly in, uh, in terms of relatively low scores for nonprofits. I, is this an issue of the professionals not being prepared or nonprofits not being prepared?
0: I think it's an organizational problem that has been, it needs an organizational solution. The nonprofit professionals that we know and work with are wonderful people who work tirelessly to bring in the money to fulfill the mission, but they're often working against the lack of such uh, management controls. It's easier for a top-notch CFRV development officer to perform optimally If that development officer has been provided a a, a set of criteria that says donors matching these criteria offer us greater potential than donors that don't match these criteria.
4: Mm -hmm. Well, and and for a lot of nonprofits, doesn't it sort of start with, well, we need money, go get it.
0: Right. And, and there
4: and and there there isn't enough planning linda it is there for
1: yeah.
4: uh organizations to really think through how are we going to actually raise money, and why would someone give?
3: right? I think what we have found is that many organizations non nonprofit organizations fall into the trap that um you know Einstein defined insanity once as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results and I think unfortunately this is what happens. Boards and CEOs who maybe perhaps themselves don't have a good grasp on philanthropy and the techniques involved in fundraising expect things to happen differently. They hire a new director of development and think that that person is going to work miracles, but they haven't really taken the time to assess what they've been doing in the past. And both Ellen and I come from corporate backgrounds her in the uh, computer industry and me in the banking industry both of which are industries where evaluation and constant examining what you're doing is just necessary to survival and in the non-profit sector i think a lot of times they don't take the time they're so, so busy putting out fires and doing the day-to-day things that have to get done that nobody takes the time to evaluate and to plan and i think this is the biggest drawback that nonprofits are facing today is they don't take that that necessary time to evaluate what they've been doing and seeing if they can do it it better. I I think a perfect example, and we talk about this in the book, are special events. So many organizations doing the same special events over and over again, even though they may be losing money, and maybe they haven't figured out yet that they're losing money because they're not evaluating that event. They're looking at the cost and they're looking at the income but they're not looking at the opportunity cost they're not Mm -hmm. looking at what they could be doing if they weren't spending forty hours a week working on one special event and I think a lot of times that's where these nonprofits fall into the trap of doing that same thing over and over again and yet somehow expecting that it's going to get better, and it just doesn't. Well, I
4: had the, uh, I had the opportunity, and again, thank you, Linda, to have lunch with Linda this uh, past weekend. It's great to see you again. And uh, and we talked about this very issue, and, and Ellen, right. one of the things that, that I shared with uh, with Linda is, you know, when it comes to special events, which I absolutely agree, are often – uh, not done well and certainly not evaluated um appropriately um, is that special events should be very clear to the, the the mission of that special event where it fits within the overall program and it should only be partly fundraising and certainly should be uh partly prospecting uh and information about the organization. So there's a PR uh fundraising uh combination to these special events. But they, they end up, as, as Linda just said, sort of over and over again doing the same thing because it becomes more about cash flow and not even stepping back and saying, well, what's the opportunity lost by devoting so much of our time, energy, and treasure to this special event as to other types of fundraising we might succeed in?
0: Well, it's interesting to note that the special event question is part of the leaky bucket assessment. In fact, it's the last of all of the questions. The question is is posed thusly, or the statement. What practices does your agency use when fundraising results fall below desired levels? And 54% of our sample said, throw more special events. Now, that is not a way to deal with undesirable results. The way you deal with undesirable results is you uh, trace back what you're not doing right. You don't, you don't run around like chicken little, the sky is falling, and say, quick, let's have another luncheon, golf tournament, rubber ducky race, cow chip bingo, or whatever. So Linda has a great list of nutty special event titles. Um <laughs> And so it, it became clear to us that a lot of nonprofit executives are, uh, especially senior leadership and, and uh, at the board level, are out of their depth when it comes to raising money. All they know is we have enough money, we don't have enough money, and when we're on the don't have enough money side, let's panic and we all know even those executives know executives know that's really not a good thing to do but yeah and, and i think we all know available. yeah yeah i
4: think we all know there's there's in most uh, communities there's at least one or two organizations that just have the reputation of sort of chewing up and spitting out uh, development officers and i think it goes back to the concept that that both of you have talked about and that there isn't this evaluation of are we ready, how are we organizationally raising money, they're, they're sort of looking for that wizard uh, who's going to come in and even in a badly organized way uh, will somehow raise money.
3: And, Ellen, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but one, another answer to that question that she just talked about is fire the development director is the answer. And I forget how many percent people said that's their solution to when fundraising isn't performing.
0: Actually, it was about fifteen percent, which, if you ask me, is fifteen percentage points too high.
3: <laughs> I agree.
0: You know, most of those development directors, if they if they're working in organizations that fail to offer these parameters, metrics, guidelines, and benchmarks, um, they're doing the yeoman job. It's not their fault. They haven't been given a fighting chance to perform adequately.
3: Right. So well,
4: and, and it's not to say that some, some it's not to say that some fundraisers don't get it right and some fundraisers should be fired. Uh, right. but Absolutely. overall <laughs> right, but overall what you're finding in the leaky bucket is is the leak is coming from the organization. And That's right. even a even a really good or, or adequately trained development officer in a bad management situation, uh, is not going to meet the the uh, uh, expectations or maximize the opportunities for fundraising.
0: You know, when when I was in the not, when I was in the computer industry, um, I learned something very important. You if you ha- if you want to automate a process that's poorly defined, you'll get a poorly automated process. You know, it's the old expression some of, some of us may recall, garbage in, garbage out. Right. So it, it, there's a perfect analogy here between setting up your automation and, uh, you know, willy-nilly just sort of poking around and making a wreck out of it and asking well-trained, dedicated, motivated, professional staff to go out in the cold, cruel world and work without a net. It's just not fair.
4: So what is the answer um, as it comes to your book? And so part of the evaluation um, is doing the review of of how are you raising money and then break each one down to um, the elements of whether or not that you're maximizing those opportunities or you're, what, Linda, just doing it out of habit?
3: I think that the answer is really two steps. It's, exactly what the book says, first finding out what's wrong with your fundraising and then deciding to do something about fixing it. And there's several areas besides the special events and some of the things that we've talked about already. There are some other areas that really stood out to us, like Ellen mentioned already, how few people even have a case for support for their organization, and that's one of the basic foundational tools you need. You mentioned earlier in page one the importance of a good website. I can't tell you how many times I go to an organization's website that is so poorly designed that sometimes I don't even know where the organization is or what their mission is. So just some basic things like looking at websites and other forms of public relations that you do, looking at your case for support, looking at your donor profile. Sometimes we talk in the book about chasing donors that we call DOA. They're they're never going to amount to anything and yet, you know, we keep pursuing those same foundation grants even though those foundations are never going to fund our type of organization because they just don't fund that type of project or that type of program. Um, individual donors, sometimes we're chasing donors that really aren't worth our our time to be blunt about it. Um <laughs> looking at the role well, of the and how board many were all of those are, things.
4: Yeah. So How many organizations are out there that are still sending direct mail or email appeals to someone that gave ten dollars five years ago, and have never right. given another gift, as right. if somehow they just have amnesia that uh, they'll forget and give again?
3: Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly right. And the so flip there, side that of that whole
4: evaluation is, tool is so important to who should you be asking?
0: Well, one thing that's very difficult for everybody to do is to walk away from somebody you think is a prospect, and, if you, and it's even worse in philanthropy <clears throat> because usually the people are going to be nice to you, they're going to be welcoming, they're going to be friendly, but you're not going to get anything from them, and somehow or other it's tough psychologically for all of us to say, this isn't worth my time and effort any longer. But having those management controls in place that say, listen, this guy's score is too low to bother. If he writes us a check, goody for us. But it's too expensive for the development officer to to drive around town and buy lunch for that person because nothing's going to happen.
4: Nothing's going to happen. And understanding how to to, uh – uh to make that evaluation. Uh Ellen and Linda, we're going to be right back after the break. And when, when we come back, I want to keep exploring the direction that you're going in uh, because you make the case that only 23% of nonprofits make use of a documented ideal donor profile. And I think that that concept that what you were just talking about pursuing unqualified donor uh, prospects is, is perhaps one of uh, the biggest areas of the leaky bucket. So we'll be right back after this break just a program a few program notes here while we're uh, taking a quick break here on the nonprofit coach uh... next week on uh... or the the next yeah next week on november 12th Uh, We will have John Greenhoe with us, and his topic is going to be major donor discovery calls. So certainly uh, that ties into our topic today in uh, fixing the leaky bucket, so we're going to learn more and go in-depth on that topic next week. On November 12th, that is a day to catch up on past podcasts, over 200 past podcasts available here on the Nonprofit Coach on all sorts of different topics. Uh, You can go to tedhart.com and find all of the podcasts, but we will not have a live show on November 19th. Rather, we'll be back just before Thanksgiving on November 26th, 12 noon Eastern, with Deborah Kaplan-Pullavi, uh, who's going to be here on the AFP Wiley radio show uh, for the Donor Life Cycle Map. Uh, and uh, just looking down the road a little bit, don't forget our last show of 2013 uh, before we go on the holiday break. Of course, every year our last and holiday show is k sprinkle grace and k sprinkle grace will be back to talk about your new year success plans she'll be with us on december 17th so those are a few uh, program notes we're going to uh, get a quick um, update here on uh, information available uh, over on uh, google uh, on the google nonprofit program and then we'll be right back with our page two guests
2: every day millions of people are online many of whom want to help, volunteer, and donate to a good cause. Nonprofit organizations can use many Google tools to reach potential donors around the world and raise more money. And as an approved nonprofit, it doesn't cost a thing. It's all free. Google Grants helps you promote your website with free advertising on Google.com through the AdWords program. With Google AdWords, you create ads and choose words or phrases related to your nonprofit organization. When people search on Google using one of your phrases, your ad will appear next to the Google search results under the Sponsored Links section. AdWords allows you to target certain geographic areas, dates, and times of day for your ads to appear. YouTube for Nonprofits is another tool that can boost donations to your organization. The program offers a number of perks that get your message out there and drive viewers to take action and donate. You can list your organization on YouTube's nonprofit channel and add call-to-action overlays on your videos to drive viewers to donate. Need help analyzing your website traffic and marketing effectiveness? Google Analytics is a free tool that will give you rich insight and help you increase the number of people that visit and donate to your site. Google Analytics can be invaluable to many people in your organization such as development directors, marketing staff, and your web team. There are many other tools that can help you reach more donors and raise funds, like Google Checkout, where you can process credit card donations with no transaction fee, Google Sites to create a free website, and Website Optimizer, where you can figure out the best landing pages to turn site visitors into donors. To get started, apply for Google for Nonprofits today.
1: Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at TedHeart.com. Click on Radio Links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart.
4: And we're back here live on The Nonprofit Coach. You can also email your questions at to tedhart at com. And, Matthew, I do have your question, uh, which we, I will get to Ellen and Linda in just a few moments. But I do want to, uh, ladies, just explore Uh, This notion of about 23% of nonprofits um, only make use of a documented ideal donor profile. What is that and why is it so important?
0: Um, Well, if your agency is engaged in prospect research, you probably think you have an ideal donor profile. Um, We don't entirely agree. The ideal donor profile needs to include standard data information like the, like the donor's wealth profile, level of net worth, giving capacity, history of charitable giving, but there are also qualitative characteristics and and if you can 't capture those qualitative characteristics, then you run the risk of pursuing the usual suspects, you know the people who have a lot of money to give, but they 're really not interested in you. Um, so just the, because
4: they have money doesn't mean they're going to give it to you.
0: Precisely. So, so just because they live in the right zip code and they have the right network and they drive the right car and all that sort of stuff, if they're super interested in the opera, the preservation of Renaissance musical instruments, or no-kill animal shelters, and your, your mission is all about foster children... There's a disconnect
4: there. There's a disconnect. So is this more about, Linda, is this more about being self-aware of who you are and what your market is as opposed to, well, of course, we're good people. Everyone will give to us.
3: Right. I think so many organizations do make that mistake of thinking, well, look at all the good work we do, and we're the best kept secret in town, and why aren't people supporting us? And it's because they haven't really done that research. And I think Ellen makes a good point that you can do, So much quantitative research as far as knowing what a person is worth, those things are all easy to find today with all the Internet resources that we have. But you also need to do some anecdotal-type research where maybe you're sitting down with the donor themselves or sitting down with people who know this donor and finding out what their real interests are This is why so many times, and I think the fact that you're having John Greenhow on is excellent, because I also read his book and was actually partly involved in his book, and he talks so much about what you find out on the discovery call. And that's why you spend the time doing those discovery calls to find out who are the donors that are truly interested in what you're doing, because without that interest, they could be you know the richest person in town or in the country and or in the world. And you're not going to get anything more than a go-away money type gift from them unless they really have the passion for what you're doing.
4: Well, and, and it's and so I interesting just, that you bring that up because, uh, you know, I talk a lot on this show about, uh, you know, go-away money, um, right. which, yeah. is not, which is not major gift work. Uh, which is not doing your job as a development officer. So talk a little bit more about that concept so my listeners can really understand. Where are they going wrong? And this is, I think, a big part of the leaky bucket.
3: I think partly where they go wrong is looking just at the dollar signs. And Years and years ago now, this, The Millionaire Next Door is an old, old book. But it really is still valid, I think. It helps us think in terms of, The millionaire who's going to support your organization or the billionaire may not be the obvious person who is seen around town in the big fancy cars. It may be the guy driving the uh, Ford station wagon and wearing an off-the-rack suit that may be your major donor because that donor has a love for what your organization is doing. So it's finding those donors and cultivating those relationships that is really critical And I think this ideal donor profile also needs to carry into the ideal board member profile because so many organizations choose board members the same way they choose donors. Well, this person's got deep pockets and they know everybody in town, but do they really care about your organization and are they motivated Mm -hmm. enough to want to, you know, be a major donor, and help you find other major donors. So that ideal donor profile goes hand-in-hand with an ideal board member profile. And so many times I find nonprofits just recruit board members and donors in such a haphazard way. There has to be a science to it, but also an art. And that's what Ellen and I love to talk about in the Leaky Bucket, that there's a science behind this, but there also has to be an art to it.
4: Right. Well, and 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 I I, I'm I'm fearful that a lot of nonprofits don't even use the wealthy person. They they use more the will fog up a mirror uh, uh, (laughs) standard for
3: for board (laughs) membership. Especially. Exactly. Not even
4: (laughs) thinking in terms of, you know, something I'm I'm a big fan. I I speak of is what I call the strategic vacancy. You know, don't fill every seat. (laughs) You know, wait right. until you, right. you, you have developed that profile, you know who you're looking for, and find mm-hmm. that right person, even if it takes time. Um, but, ladies, I I do I did promise Matthew he, he emailed in a question uh, for, sure. uh, for you, and that is he's asking about the role of a strategic plan.
0: Oh, man, this is really fabulous. <laughs> in, in the last roll-up, we discovered that only 45% of our uh, respondents say that they have a strategic plan. Now, Linda and I might like to look at some of those 45% right. and, and knock them off the list, but remember, the strategic plan is, describes how the agency is going to achieve its mission and fulfill its vision. And if the strategic plan isn't guiding the development plan what are you doing? So so the strategic plan really says um, what we have to raise in order to achieve the mission and fulfill the vision. And we've talked about this, Linda and I, many a time. And what we like to say to our clients is, hey, are you spending enough money? As opposed to, oh, my God, we're spending too much money. So we we really need to be looking at the strategic plan, and if it isn't robust enough, it needs to be improved because that's going to dictate your development plan. Don't you agree, Linda?
3: Yes, and what I've always said, and by the way, that statistic of people who have strategic plans, if 40-some percent only have strategic plans, you can probably bet that only 4% of those people have development plans because when, when we do... Uh, presentations on this topic and we ask people for a show of hands of how many have a strategic plan usually the majority of the room raises their hand but when you ask them if they have a written development plan it's a much smaller percentage but I think with all of these plans whether it's a strategic plan a marketing plan, a development plan what happens is nonprofits are really good usually at setting goals and objectives but they don't converted into an action plan, and it needs to be converted into who's going to do this task, um, when is it going to get done, how much is it going to cost, or how much are we going to raise through it if it's a fundraising activity, and that's where I think most strategic plans go awry is because right. they, they develop a strategic plan because some funder told them they had to do it or a board member said, we need a strategic plan. And once it's over, everybody goes, oh, boy, well, that's done. We don't have to worry about that for another couple of years. And they put it on a shelf somewhere, and it literally gathers dust. I can't tell you how many times I go in to a, an organization and ask for their strategic plan, and they have to dig around somewhere for well, mm-hmm. I think we have one somewhere, but we're not quite sure where it is. Or what it Well, because takes. they get
4: they get bogged down in in the the details of running the organization, and fail right. to realize that is is this plan even realistic, is it likely right. to have any depth uh, within uh, a development plan? And I think you know that's the point that you're making: is that so few of them even have a a development plan that it really comes down to, sadly, for a lot of organizations, the fundraising goal is the deficit.
3: Right, exactly, and, You're
4: exactly and, right. And doesn't <laughs> and, and have like, any reality to what is the prospect pool look like, what is the, the likelihood mm-hmm. of success. And this is where I think, going back to what we were talking about before, this is where you get into go-away money because development officers are in a position of asking for money before it's time.
3: That's and right. I think with, with, your, with your strategic plan and your development plan, you can have these great lofty goals, but until you do take it down to the action step phase and say, okay, well, here's how much has to be done in June and here's how much has to be done in July and here's how much this person has on their plate – You don't know if those goals are realistic if you don't take it down to that level of making the action plan. And that's where people get so frustrated because they set all these goals and they say, well, the board wanted to do this, but now they're not helping us implement it uh, Mm -hmm. because they haven't really taken an honest evaluation of can we realistically do this. And instead of focusing on grand, lofty goals, let's focus on something that you can actually accomplish
0: Exactly. And, and you can
3: actually do next
0: Monday. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to add something here, which is that which is the emphasis in many of these topics on having it written down. An ideal donor profile that only exists in your mind is going to be interpreted differently by everyone who is uh, uh, selecting a donor prospect, and. By every and every time you meet a prospect, so so unless it's actually written down, you don't have you, the development officer or peer solicitor. You're just you're just comparing them to something that's in your mind, and so the profile is all wavery and situational. If the strategic well, and, and plan isn't written down, the same problem occurs. Same with the right. development. Well, and,
4: and speaking of documenting, uh, Ellen, yeah. I, I mean, talk about shocking statistics. Only 56% use any form of donor management software.
5: And, 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 then they,
4: and then they <laughs> wonder why there's a leaky bucket. I mean, talk to me a little bit more right. about that.
0: Well, that was uh, I, I was really careful in creating that statement because I wanted to make this easy for people to grasp. So the the one option was donor management software or spreadsheet, and the lack of even a spreadsheet in almost you know it's just barely over half of the participants. It was really shocking to us as well. And some Well, it's surprising to me
4: have... because of all the marketing of uh, I mean oh, uh, you can God. certainly. Understand, I mean, uh, uh, listen, we've all been at this a very long time, and and we we have all known of the the severe deficit in strategic plans among nonprofit organizations, which is tragedy enough. But with all the marketing of donor management software, this this says to me uh, a lack of respect for the fundraising program, a lack of respect for a development process, and a lack of investment in what it takes to be successful.
3: I, and I'm even the cost you, has come down so much. I mean, there's, you don't have to spend fifty thousand dollars anymore for a CRM system. You can get one at, at such a reasonable cost. Uh, you mentioned TechSoup. Soup. That's another resource that people need to look at because you can afford a customer relations exactly, management program exactly. today. Yes. So, so, so you does know, this, does, I think does you this create? Really
0: yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I I think you were really on to something, though, Ted. Um, You said lack of respect for the fundraising discipline. I often wonder, and I'd love to do some research to find this out, I often wonder if it isn't fear. Raising money, asking for money, making the sale, asking for the deal, causes a great deal of anxiety in more people than than not.
2: It's Mm -hmm. a very
0: common fear. And since so many nonprofit CEO's, don't come out of fundraising they come out of operations i wonder if they're if they're sort of whistling past the graveyard here because they mm-hmm. don't want to know the bad news now what we're saying is if you document it you have you know the brutal truth you know the brutal facts which means aha now i can solve the problem but if we right. just ignore it by not documenting it at all we're fat, dumb, and happy until the little repossession guy comes and takes away our furniture.
4: Right. Well, and I think, you know, I mean, we're so close to it. We understand there is absolutely no way to effectively raise money if there's no prospect base, if, if, if there's no pipeline, if nobody's talking to anybody and there are, there's no relationships being built. Then whatever you have will quickly start whittling away. But if you but, don't but there's even have... But one
0: piece of it. There's one other piece of it that you haven't mentioned. If we don't also acknowledge the monetary cost of achieving the mission, yes. that's the piece that always seems to me to get left out of the equation. We're not going to uh, you know, solve world hunger, bring about world peace, uh, you know, run our dance company if we don't acknowledge that doing it right costs money. And there's some magical thinking that goes on that sort of says, well, we don't need to ask for money because it's impolite. I, I, I don't even know, but you you guys know what I'm talking about, right?
4: Well, I I do, and and I think you know that that number just really you know stuck out to me to say, you know, th- this is not being taken seriously. This is definitely saying that a good portion. Of nonprofit boards and nonprofit management still come from from the perspective that we're good people, and people should just give to us, and that right. the serious business of building relationships, caring about your donors, bringing them into the fold, um, is a minority report.
3: And I think that's visible also in those organizations that do say they have a case for support. It's often written from the perspective of the organization instead of the mm. perspective of the donors. Like, well, here we are, poor nonprofit. We need money, so give us. A, you have money, give us some. And that, right. That's kind of the mentality that some organizations take when they're even writing their case for support. Not here's what we're doing to fill a need in the community and here's why you should be a part of this program and together we can solve a need, not just we have needs, we need money, we need money, and that's unfortunately the approach. It, it really to is and
4: that speaks, that taking. speaks volumes to the Leaky Bucket. Ladies, uh, you need to come back uh, because this has been a fantastic, fascinating discussion. We only have three minutes left, and I want to make sure that my listeners know how to reach you. So uh, first of all, Ellen, uh, we'll go alphabetical here. Um, How can my listeners reach you?
0: My email is ellen at BristolStrategyGroup.com and my phone number is 305-935-6676 and you can find me all over the place on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter.
4: Terrific. And Linda, how can my listeners reach you?
3: Okay, and mine is pretty easy, Linda, and that's L I N D A at lindalizakowski.com. Of course, Lizakowski is L Y S A K O W S K I. My website is the same thing, com and I'm also on Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest and uh, all the other Twitter and all the other places. <laughs> I haven't found on great. Pinterest yet, but it's eminent. <laughs>
4: Well, it's a it's a it's a fascinating topic that uh, that you have brought brought to us today. Uh, I think this concept of the leaky bucket is one that is uh, underappreciated for the the and the research that you've done is just fantastic to point directly at the problem is that nonprofit organizations that desire to have money are not planful enough. In what it takes Correct. to actually get there, whether they have the resources, the professional support, the strategic planning, or the board of directors itself organized in such a way that you can meet that uh, that challenge. So, uh, fascinating. Thank you again for being our guest here on the nonprofit coach, let me just Ellen add, Bristol. Yeah, what? Let go let ahead. Just
0: one little thing: the leaky bucket assessment for uh, for effective fundraising is open and will be open forever. So any, okay. any of the listeners who, who want to take it, they're welcome to. Just go to the bristolstrategygroup.com website, and you'll find it right on our homepage.
4: Excellent. What a great way to uh, wrap up uh, uh, this uh, particular edition of the Nonprofit Coach. Don't forget to join us next week live here on the Nonprofit Coach, 12 noon Eastern, next Tuesday. Thank you again for being our, my guest here on the Nonprofit Coach, Alan Bristol and Linda Lysakowski.
1: Thanks, sir. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcasts at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach.